to do really good outbound, I think it is a necessity. Absolutely. You have to equip your reps with, I mentioned a couple times, like just the general air cover of marketing, but also just all the little tools, right? All those little things. Like when I first started in sales, I used to love to listen to Brian Tracy, psychology of sales. I mean, he's a classic old sales guy, right? And I would listen to my, to date myself, cassette tapes that my dad had bought me. I'm popping into my used Honda Accord. And one thing that he would says is, the horse that wins by a nose wins 10 times the prize money of the horse that comes in second place. And when it comes to the marketing and all those little things, again, I'm trying to equip my reps with sales and marketing. You're doing hundreds of small things again and again and again and again and again. So I need that layer of marketing in there more so than ever to break through and give my reps something tangible in front of people that's going to be relevant and valuable. And they haven't always had that. That's Tony Lenhart, sales drummer at Sales Empowerment Group. He's built a lot of sales teams from the ground up. He's run a lot of outbound campaigns, and he sold professional services in a highly commoditized market. Tony knows the difficult stuff. And I was curious to learn from him, how much marketing cover does a sales campaign need to be successful? Across professional services and other complicated selling environments, it keeps getting harder to sell. The reason? Buyers take on more and more of the buying process themselves. They expect you to have a great website, useful information, and tools to help them make decisions without ever talking to you or anyone else. Which begs the question, how much marketing is enough marketing to be successful in an outbound campaign? Asked another way, what are the most critical signals that buyers need to see before they're willing to engage with you? In this episode of Modern Sales, I talked to Tony about the kinds of marketing that a firm needs, what you need to support your client's decision-making process, and whether or not you even need good marketing to execute on your next campaign. Welcome to Modern Sales, a podcast that'll help you sell more by understanding how people buy. I'm your host, Liston Witherell, founder of Serve, Don't Sell, and I dig through academic research interview people inside and outside of sales, and nerd out on psychology, economics, and neuroscience to figure out how people make decisions. And I am on a mission to change the way 100 million people sell so that buying B2B services can feel just as good as being treated exactly the way you deserve to be treated. Wouldn't that be nice? Now do it for someone else too. If you're listening on Spotify, hit that follow button so that you don't miss an episode. And if you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, leave an honest review, as long as it's four to five stars. It helps me get the word out for the show so we can, together, change the way 100 million people sell. Thank you in advance for your help. Now, a quick announcement on today's show. I'm opening up a workshop to help you close more deals using a highly consultative approach. It's lightning fast. It's going to take a lot of work on your part. And during the workshop, you'll learn the core sales process, work on three skills that'll help you make every meeting more productive, not just sales meetings, and make your offers more compelling by telling transformational stories to your clients. If you're interested in joining the workshop, just head over to servedontsell.com slash workshop to learn more about it. That's servedontsell.com slash workshop for more information and to sign up now. Now onto the show. How you sell only accounts for a portion of how your buyers make decisions. Of course, it's up to you to focus on the things that you can control. Is your marketing doing enough of the lift for you? 
We know buyers typically spend hours of research and sometimes even hours of internal meetings before ever engaging with you. The same is true when you do cold outreach. Your prospects are going to do some homework to decide if you're worth their time. So what kind of marketing do you need in place to be successful? Find out in my conversation with Tony Lenhart right after this short break. Hey, it's Liston. Welcome to Modern Sales. I am here with Tony. Is it Leonard? I didn't ask you in the pre-interview. I have a it bad is, habit. It's L- Lenhart. Lenhart. Okay. Tony yes. Lenhart from Sales Empowerment Group out of the greater Chicagoland area. Welcome to Modern Sales. Hey, thanks for having me, Liston. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being here. And one of the first things we need to address, it's the elephant in the room, Tony, and that is your title. You're a sales drummer. What does drumming have to do with anything, sir? Yeah, (laughs) I've been a drummer my whole life, first and foremost. So I think that's very clear. I learned to play drums from my father, who actually played in a polka band of all things. So I grew up with a beautiful drum set in the basement. But as I left corporate America, I needed to go out and I guess make a name for myself as I was networking and meeting people. So the sales drummer has a few different meanings. One, it's a little bit of a nod to my old man who was in sales and also a drummer. But back in the day, because I think back in the day, like the old West, salespeople used to be called drummers. I mean, that's where the phrase comes from, of drumming up business out there, beating the drum. A classic old example is Levi Strauss. He was a guy that was running around the old West peddling his wares. And when they would come into a town, some of them literally would start banging on a drum to let people know that they were there to sell pots and pans and scissors and leather or whatever they were selling back in the old West. Pretty crazy, right? I did not know that. I mean, and really what they were trying to do is just create a spectacle when they showed up and sort of announce their presence, right? Yeah, absolutely. They didn't have a lot of marketing firepower back then. So the drum was the way to go. So And I've always thought titles are ridiculous anyway. I mean, I was a manager when I was a 22-year-old. Well, my favorite is in the banking industry. Everybody is a VP, so you're sure that you're dealing with a senior person. Yeah, totally. Totally. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your background. I know you've worked prior to what you're doing now, and we'll get to Sales Empowerment Group, but you've worked in payroll systems. And the thing that I think is interesting about payroll systems is they touch just about every aspect of a business, which means you have to convince anybody who has a say in anything to adopt your system. Do you consider that sales or is it just consulting in order to get a deal like that done? Oh, no, it's absolutely sales. I mean, I guess looking back out of it, I did certainly try to be consultative, right? But when you talk payroll, you're talking a a 75-year-old business. Well, people have been paying people for years, but as a formalized payroll service. So it's hyper-commoditized. And when I was out there working in my, managing my district, I always said to people like, listen, it's my job to know good people, right? Because payroll may not be something that's relevant for you today or a pain point, but to what you said, it touches a lot of aspects of the business. It touches banking and accounting and finance and human resources and all these different aspects. So if I couldn't help them directly, I wanted to be able to service them in some way, shape or form. So that at a very early age taught me the power of having a good network to be able to refer and pay it forward and get people the solutions that they need. So Tony, with your work with SEG, my understanding is one of the primary things you do is 
hire and train salespeople to work for you guys, and then they get outsourced to your clients. Is that right? That's one way I look at it for sure. Yeah, that's really the biggest side of part of our business. Well, how would you describe it? Well, for a little bit of context, when we started this firm, whatever, 11 years ago, we were doing recruiting and consulting work, right? And really going back to my roots, I mentioned my dad was in sales, but my mom's a therapist. So I always say I was bred to do exactly what I do now, which is sales therapy. Maybe I should change my moniker. But when we were going in to work with clients, and I'd love to hear if you see this too with working on your clients, one of the biggest complaints we heard is, man, we don't know how to recruit, onboard, train, manage, and motivate young new reps, right? Because the debate is always, do you get somebody like that that's maybe young and no bad habits, or do you get the person that has the little black book and maybe some baggage, right? And most people want to lean toward the latter. They want the person with industry experience and things like that because they've struggled grooming up that new rep. So this division we have now, which I kind of refer to as a sales talent incubator, we were trying to solve that problem. So we partnered with a client and onboarded six salespeople for them. And we groomed them for almost 18 months. And out of those six, I think there were four that kind of earned their stripes. And then the client hired them away to be a full-time employee of their company. So now over the last six years, we've groomed over 400 salespeople and had about half of them actually hired away and still have about 70 reps that are in-house with us working for different clients. And so you, you hire the rep, you train them for a specific client more than likely. And then do you sell them at the end of that? Do you say, hey, in order to bring this person internally, you get compensated for your training and effort? Yeah. The clients know from the very get-go that this is about the human capital that you get at the end, right? We're trying to reduce that regrettable attrition that so many companies have had with having false starts with hiring salespeople again and again and again. So while they're with us, we're trying to solve this problem of pipeline generation, right? They're doing lead gen and market outreach, but it's also this combination of you know, you're building your future bench, right? We want to be that AAA farm team. So that's always the goal. A successful project to us is when the rep gets hired away. by. And so what conditions need to be present for those engagements to work? Because I'm guessing it doesn't work for every client. And don't worry, I won't ask you for percentages, but no business is perfect, right? Just because especially what we're doing, we're in the business of people and people are messy. So what do you look for in order for an engagement and outsource sales engagement with one of your clients to be successful? Yeah. And we've had plenty of scraped knees to your point on figuring out what works and what doesn't. And you've mentioned it on, it's come up on your prior podcast around the predictable revenue model, right? The, of Aaron Ross's book, which has been probably over 10 years now of that model worked in tech, right? That's how salesforce.com built its army and its business. And so you saw that start to take off in tech. And now the last five to seven years, that idea of a BDR, SDR has proliferated out into all sorts of different industry, this role segmentation, which maybe when you started in sales, when I started ADP, it's you prospected it, you sold it, you managed it, you did the full cycle. So as we've gone out and worked with companies, what do we see to your question that makes it work or doesn't make it work? I bring up predictable revenue because what does he say in there? Like the revenue size of these deals has to be over a certain amount, right? If you can't go out doing thousand dollar deals when you're trying to spin up an SDR program. So we look for a, a good average size deal and then how commoditized is the space and how difficult is it to explain to somebody when you're on the phone with them, right? 
we've gotten into some situations in enterprise IT consulting and very ambiguous things that can make it a challenge for generating some interest. So a company needs good marketing air cover, right? To kind of do some, again, general air cover to have there be some awareness in the marketplace. And then it also comes down to just having really good lists, right? Segmentation on the top end makes the whole program run a lot smoother as opposed to somebody throwing down a phone book and saying, hey, I can talk to anybody. So I would say those are two big pieces. So you mentioned the space being commoditized. And earlier, I picked up on something you said about ADP, which was highly commoditized, lots of payroll companies out there, lots of options, lots of known options by the customer base. But in your work now, are you looking for businesses that aren't as commoditized? Is that a critical thing? I don't know how critical it is that we certainly like say, hey, like people that do outsourced IT work, I won't touch that anymore. Because again, that's one of those things you could sell to anybody at any time. And right now, especially in the last three months, the status quo is going to be one of the biggest objections salespeople face. Some things that are just running smoothly and have been in place for a long time, those are hard to displace. On the other hand, I'd say what I look for is back to your prior question around what has not worked. Companies that have grown just through organic growth of referral-based business partnerships, and they've never truly even attempted to do outbound before, but they love the idea, but have never been able to make it work. There might be some really good reasons why you've never tried outbound and it's never worked. (laughs) We never fail on a project due to a lack of effort. We're always making the calls, making the emails, using the tools. But sometimes in certain industries, it's just, it's not the way business is done right? If there's maybe high trust factors or things. Are there particular industries that you try to avoid? You mentioned IT services might be one that's especially commoditized. No, nothing. I would say I explicitly say, no, thank you. If the deal size makes sense and the target market we feel is addressable and accessible, right? Based on the titles that they're calling into, we're willing to build it out with the client and launch the program. Got it. Okay. So it's interesting you mentioned in one of the things that you look for is it's relatively easy to explain over the phone. So I was wondering if you could maybe lift up the hood and share a little bit about, you mentioned in our pre-call that you've been prospecting for SEG, looking for your own clients and sort of introducing yourself to new people. I assume it's relatively easy to explain outsource sales, at least on the surface, it sounds like we bring people to you, they sell on your behalf. If it works out well, you get to hire them. What is your approach to setting meetings? Because I see setting meetings, all the stats, it's harder and harder. I find that when I do prospecting, it's harder and harder to get people's attention, to get them on the phone. What are your approaches for SEG, either personally or across your company? Sure. We're a sales company. We've done an okay job marketing. We certainly have built that air cover, right? With consistency of getting out in front of people. As far as generating interest, this is a great discussion because what do people have? Time, money, and human resources, right? And as we keep hearing again and again these days, we were talking about it before we jumped on the podcast that time is one of our most precious resources. Everybody's feeling this burnout. So why now should people reach out and want to have a conversation? One way I try and position it is immediately trying to speak to the pain or speak to the gain. A lot of times it's speaking to the pain of what people are experiencing. As I mentioned before, the biggest reason people would want to use us and not look at us as just telemarketing is, hey, you've had a lot of regrettable attrition with salespeople. If you look at every single department, sales always has the highest turnover. 
I know I'm saying that pretty broadly, but I place a pretty large bet that that is where people feel the most pain when it comes to the constant turnover in sales. So I'm speaking to that because after a meeting, after meeting, after meeting, I've gone on with people. That's what we hear. That's what we've heard from our clients. And hopefully that's what resonating because we do a lot of work within Vistage, the like CEO peer groups. And what you consistently hear is what's the number one pain that people are experiencing? It's sales. So I think I always have an interesting thing to approach people about. But at the same time, I kind of laugh because I sell sales, much like you right? we're selling sales. So I'm very aware of how I go about doing that and just my general approach with people. Because as I'm approaching others, they're thinking, okay, is this how Tony's going to teach my reps how to sell? Is the way that he's doing it? So me just being very thoughtful with my approach is something that's always been important to me and, and why I've, on the personal side of things, I've done a lot of work to build my own personal brand and getting my voice out there. Right. So there may be some awareness before you even engage with someone. Yeah. If I'm doing any cold prospecting these days, I am going the LinkedIn route, right? I use the souped up sales navigator and I know my ideal client profile from an owner standpoint and a VP of sales standpoint. So I'm building lists, connecting with people, building that audience, and again, driving that top of mind awareness. So So I noticed on SEG's website, it lists their separate pages for sales outsourcing and lead generation. And I don't know if that's just a function of an SEO play where you guys want traffic for both of those terms, but do you see any difference between them? Yeah. When we first started, it was strictly lead gen, right? It was the top of the funnel, the BDR, SDR role. As we've gotten into some more client engagements, we were in this push and pull because it was a debate of quality versus quantity. And I think with SDRs, you're going to hear anybody that has SDR team. It's like their job is to get people on the phone for meaningful conversations. They can't qualify that. Or we don't want them to because they're going to talk themselves out of a meeting. So now it's clients want more quality because they're like, oh, you said a bunch of bad meetings. So now these reps are morphing into, okay, they're going further down the funnel and they're going through whether you want to call it Bint or Medic or any of these other qualification tools that are out there to tee up a more meaningful conversation. So clients were pulling us down this path where they were, we were kind of maybe not going contact to contract, but we were getting further down the funnel and maybe running these first calls. So depending on the situation and the industry and who they're selling into, sometimes our teams take a little bit further and some of them now even over the finish line. The reason I picked up on this idea of lead generation is I have a pretty deep background in online marketing as well. And lead gen, of course, means something slightly different in marketing, which is essentially form completions, email addresses. So when you guys say lead generation, you don't mean digital marketing. You mean that top of funnel, first contact, getting someone on the phone and getting a meeting on the calendar. Yep, absolutely. Let's turn to marketing for a second, though, because you know, I work in professional services primarily. That's my business. That's your business. And that's most of my clients. And you've mentioned a lot of things that I think for me stack up to a situation where firms really need some level of marketing in order for this to be successful. Markets are commoditized. So why you? Like, why should I pay attention to what you have to say versus any other firm? Do you find that it's necessary to have at least good marketing in order for this to work for most of your clients? To do really good outbound, I think it is a necessity. Absolutely. You have to equip your reps with, I mentioned a couple of times, like just the general air cover 
of marketing, but also just all the little tools, right? All those little things. When I first started in sales, I used to love to listen to Brian Tracy, psychology of sales. I mean, he's a classic old sales guy, right? And I would listen to my to date myself cassette tapes that my dad had bought me. I'm popping into my used Honda Accord. And one thing that he would says is the horse that wins by a nose wins 10 times the prize money of the horse that comes in second place. And when it comes to the marketing and all those little things, again, I'm trying to equip my reps with sales and marketing. You're doing hundreds of small things again and again and again and again and again. So I need that layer of marketing in there more so than ever to break through and give my rep something tangible in front of people that's going to be relevant and valuable. And they haven't always had that. All right. So let's do a thought experiment. I'm a potential client. I say, hey, I've got a $5 million business. Our average deal size is six figures plus. I'd love to hire SEG to outsource my sales, but I have no marketing in place. What would you say you need me to put in place for this to work? Probably over half the time, companies don't even have a CRM, right? I ask them to see a list of their clients or prospects and it's crickets, right? They may have an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. So having a CRM and not even marketing automation, but just simply a database that we can begin with is sometimes a non-starter for us, right? Because we won't touch it if they don't have that. Second, just from a digital standpoint, they have a good website, they have a presence. I'm kind of over eBooks and white papers and if white papers are still a thing, but I don't think people need a lot of some of these different tools that marketers have been pushing for a long time in the last five, seven years of blogs and eBooks. Video is obviously huge right now. We're seeing people, whether it's through case studies or even podcasts like that, but something that's going to be a little bit more engaging than just a one pager on what people are doing. So we try and collaborate with them and their internal marketing team on what they're doing to stay relevant and fresh with the approach. So when I do, when inevitably you get those people on the phone that say, not interested, not right now, send me some information, the rep can be a little bit more creative than, oh, here's a one pager or a website. So that's what I think, right? I think you kind of hit the nail on the head for me. When I think about outbound, we're going to have a few categories, assuming we have a good list. Some people will say, yeah, that sounds really interesting. Let's talk about it. That's the minority, of course. But some people will say that. Others will never be able to reach. And then there will be a third bucket of all the people who are interested, but not right now for a variety of reasons, some better than others. And I think for a lot of my clients, I see that nurture part is really what you need for that third segment. And without marketing and without content, it's very difficult to stay in front of that person on a regular basis in a relevant way. And I'm not saying you need to customize that experience to every single person. A newsletter works, right? It's also a billboard. It's just a reminder. Hey, I'm this person that talked to you about this thing and I can help you in these ways. Do you find a lot of resistance because now all of a sudden they wanted to do sales and you're asking them to do some level of marketing that maybe they don't have the habit or muscle to do? That's why I network with a lot of marketing agencies. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or or why marketing agencies love us because you look at the other side of the spectrum is like people will spin up marketing and then they'll sit there with their bushel basket waiting for the apples to fall into the basket. Right. And it's like, you build it, they will come. Well, it doesn't always happen. So I think it has to, you have to do very thoughtful marketing activities, but then very structured, consistent outbound to complement one another. Yeah. It is difficult to have one without the other because you send your salespeople out there in the battle and they have no arrows in the quiver. They're not going to get very far. They're going to lose a lot of oomph. 
So a recurring theme on this podcast is always selling services versus selling products. Now, I guess you could say payroll is both a product and a service, but certainly there was a product element and what you're doing now is mainly selling a service with SEG. What differences do you see in terms of how you talk about and sell your services now versus when you had product? Storytelling. The shortest answer I'd say is storytelling, being able to share very relevant examples because the story is what's going to paint the picture in the mind, right? So I can talk very big picture and also get very into the weeds because consulting work and professional service service work can get kind of squishy if it's not mapped out. So the learning how to tell a good story, have those client examples, even specifically, you mentioned you've talked with Todd Capone in the past and the transparency sale. I think I've after reading his book, I've wove a lot of that into my storytelling, right? Almost leading with, well, here's when it doesn't work, right? That's because sometimes that's what they're looking for. But beyond that, in those situations as I have, it's like, I'll still share the potholes and then paint the vision of, here's what they wanted and here's what was actually the culmination. So to answer your question, listen, it's really learn how to tell a story when you're selling services, as opposed to a product that you can put in front of them, show them pictures or have some more data behind that. Right. And it's much more known, as you say, tangible. It's more of a known entity. A product is usually. Okay. So SEG, I noticed in your video, by the way, it looks like you guys got a new website in the last month or two. Is that right? We did. Okay. So eating your own dog food here. I noticed that there's one of the testimonials in kind of the promo video you guys have, your sort of about SEG video that talks about doing branding for one of your clients and how they felt they became now seen as a market leader as a result of branding and some of the marketing assistance. Is that something that you guys have done from the start or have you seen an increasing importance of marketing and sales working together over time? We did not do that when we first started. SCG is short for sales empowerment group. So we usually left marketing in the hands of somebody either in-house or with another agency. But when we go in and start building strategy around just messaging and what you're taking to market, it's very quick to see the blind spots, right? Because going back to our outsourced sales model, those BDRs or SDRs, I mean, they are literally your tip of the spear. I mean, they're taking the marketing words right from the people and talking to those end users. So they're going to know right away what's resonating and what's not. We've kind of been cornered into having to work with people and leaning in more with these marketing teams to crystallize that because a lot of people haven't put a lot of thoughtful time into building it out when salespeople are going out there trying to just wing it and they don't have that consistency, it leads to false expectations, not only for the team, but for the end user. False expectations in terms of the salesperson over-promising. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic one, uh-huh. right? The salesperson going, oh yeah, we can do that. We can do that. We can do that. But also if marketing and their brand doesn't have a pulse on the true why behind the reason somebody would use them and what they're all about, there can be a misalignment during the implementation phase and going mm, forward with the product. In terms of like driving motivations and values between the companies. and Yeah, the salesperson might say, hey, these are the top three reasons why people use us when that's really not it, right? And then the client comes in and gets transferred to that service or implementation team. And it's like, wait a minute, right? I thought this was going to be something a little bit different. And going back to the difference between service and product, that does happen a lot on the service side, more so on the product. It's real straightforward. Right. Well, and it's tough with services because I always say the classic consulting sale 
is the client brings up anything. They say, can you do that? And the consultant's like, oh yeah, of course we do that. And then all of a sudden, like you just opened a brand new business that you've never run before. <laughs> yeah, that's how we spun up our outsourced sales division. You know, <laughs> yeah. you would if you would said to us six years ago, we'd be doing that would be most of our business. I'd be like, yeah, no. It's, <laughs> Careful with that advice. So we're telling everyone, just say yes to everything. That's the <laughs> takeaway from this episode. Right. Right. And then go back and figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but being a fellow sales guy, and I've heard other salespeople say it, it's like, what do we love about this? And for me, it's always been about being able to create something where there was once nothing. Right. And that just brings a smile to my face to be able to be part of that creation process and building things with people. So I think as salespeople, we kind of get excited about that possibility and be like, yeah, let's build it. Let's go. It can lead to some troubles, but it can also lead to some amazing things. So final question for you, you've obviously had an eye on, maybe not focused on, but at least you've put in a lot of work over many years in developing your personal brand. So you're the sales drummer, you have a private newsletter, which I was giving you crap about because I couldn't find it before the (laughs) podcast. So I'll, I'll urge you one more time to do that. What sort of advice do you have? Like if I'm, let's think about the frontline salesperson maybe even someone who works for you guys at SEG, they're starting out as an SDR or BDR, maybe they're an account executive. How important is personal brand for them? And what are some steps they should be taking if they should start building a personal brand? The first thing that comes to mind for me is I'm going out and I'm working with salespeople individually. I talk a lot about first impressions. And first impression to me isn't just when you meet that person face to face for the first time. I think it's spread out. It's what do you do before the meeting? What do you do during the meeting? And then what are you doing after the meeting? Those three touch points are the like kind of the arc of a first impression. To me, the personal branding side is if people are researching and finding me or I'm sharing something beforehand, I'm trying to show to that person that I am somebody who has my finger on the pulse of what's happening in all things sales and marketing. I'm trying to show in a lot of different ways, whether it's through my newsletter or through LinkedIn or through blog posts I've written on my site, that I have an awareness and I'm being very thoughtful about my craft, about my trade, right? Again, going back to old Brian Tracy, I mean, it's the reason we read a lot of books and continue to sharpen the saw, so to speak. He would say, what if you went to a doctor and they didn't have the latest medical books and they just say, yeah, I graduated 30 years ago. I've just been winging it ever since. So if you're truly going to go out and be a a quote unquote sales professional, I don't think there's anything better than you can do than to be very cognizant of not necessarily just the work you're putting into it, but what are you putting out into the world that is sharing your voice in a true authentic way that is going to attract your tribe, right? It goes back a little bit to the Simon Sinek talk and the power of why, but I want people to know that because I'm trying to attract the people that I like to work with. I've worked with enough jerks to know what I look for in a, in a good client, what a bad client looks like. So personal branding for me has helped me attract the audience that I know I'm going to work well with. And not everybody has that luxury. I mean, I've been in sales now for going on 20 years, so I've had to earn that and figure it out for myself. But that's what I think there is, is power in that professional brand of attracting the right audience and then showing on the front end during and after my first impression with them that I'm going to continue to be there and be a voice for them with, with my type of work. Awesome. And you know, you, you talked about how you've been doing this for 20 years and you mentioned Brian Tracy. I often get impatient with my own marketing and brand development. And then I look at some people and I'm like, why is that guy getting all the attention? And of course, 
human brain, right? We go straight to the like this person who is a quote unquote overnight success, but you've only heard of them for a year or two and now they're huge. And that is the very, very small exception. But most people I look at, I go, oh yeah, 20 years helps. Do one thing every week for 20 years and you'd be amazed at what the results are. I love that advice. Yeah, it's the steady drip, right? I mean, you, you, we talked about Seth Godin a little bit too. I mean, the man is the master of creative brevity. He's been writing for a long time. He knows what he's doing, but he talks about that steady drip showing up. And in sales, it's that the phrase I've always used of polite persistence. And that goes, you can layer persistence over every aspect of being a true sales professional. Once again, sellers have to become marketers to some degree. And I have a a whole series on that topic. So if you scroll back in your feed, you can listen to it. Just look for hashtag sellers become marketers. Tony, (laughs) thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Surely some people want to know how to follow up with you, learn more about you or SEG. What should they do? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on LinkedIn, Tony Lenhart, L-E-N-H-A-R-T. First thing I will do after we hang up here listening is set up my online sign up for sales drummer newsletter, which is your monthly mix of uh, sales advice and latest in my musical musings and maybe a drum solo or something. But that's how you can find me. LinkedIn and our website, salesempowermentgroup.com. Awesome. And that's all linked in the show notes if you want to grab those links. Tony, thanks so much for being here. Awesome. Listen, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you.